you know that movie from like the late 80s about Robert Gould Shaw and the 54th Regiment in the Civil War? It's called Glory. Oh, yeah. Shoes, sir. The boy did it for shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do know that movie. I've, uh, it's, uh, it's a rewatchable it was, yeah, I was worried it was going to be shit or that it was going to be just like horrible propaganda, but it actually is, it's actually just good and fairly, fairly historically accurate, except for the fact that it opens, well, not opens, but like early on in the film when Shaw is given the, the colonelcy, uh, he just puts together a regiment made entirely of ex-slaves all somehow magically transported to Massachusetts, where you're like, I don't think there's that many ex-slaves in Massachusetts, you know? Well, I think you'd be surprised. No, no, I'm not. I was right. If you look it up, it's, he's, uh, he, the vast majority of, first of all, they had a hard time forming and getting enough people to form an actual regiment. And secondly, the vast majority of the African-Americans that they did conscript, or not conscript, who volunteered, were, uh, were not, were not, freed slaves they were just like born freemen yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case but i also wouldn't be surprised if there's a regiment worth of ex-slaves in massachusetts right? weren't there a large number no not in massachusetts but yeah there were a large number well the, th- mm-hmm. the reason i wanted to watch the movie is because i'm reading w.e.b du bois's uh black reconstruction in america Mm-hmm. Which is fucking great, and like just being on that whole Civil War tip has been real fun and uh, enlightening. And like I did a bit of, I actually read like one chapter of it back in May for the research I was doing for the thing I was writing. And uh, but now I'm reading it like in its entirety, and it's really really interesting. And and the the whole thing about like just the the shift in like the strategic shift that the union took when they realized that they had to do something with this, like one and a half million like African Americans who were just like abandoning the South or, and then the Confederacy, you know, they had, they first had to try to put them to, to work in some way. And, uh, to, cause they had to give them like a, uh, what was effectively like welfare, like, but army controlled welfare. And then to make it pay, they gave them loads of confiscated land and had them produce stuff and then tax them on it. So that kind of like paid for the the welfare program, as it were. It wasn't called that, obviously. And then they so many of them wanted to fight, but they weren't allowed to. And then, you know, uh, Benjamin Butler considered them contraband famously and like put some of them into like kind of organized but not official units and had them fighting and stuff. But yeah, it's interesting. Mm. It's interesting to me because, like, the the thing that, that concerns me the most in a lot of my, like, my writing and stuff is just this idea of citizenship because it's so weird and murky. And it's just, like, such it's a thing that, like, most people I, I don't think really consider because why would you? You just take it for granted. Like, what it means to be a citizen, not just having it. I mean, they obviously take for granted having citizenship of some place, you know? You're a citizen of somewhere, but then there's, like, all these different things. Like, there's different types of citizenship. There's two different principles that underlie, like, the modern legal conception of citizenship, you know? Uh, Jus soli and jus uh, sanguinis, 
uh, Jew Soli is like uh, the right of uh, soil. So like if you were like born someplace, that's like in the States, right? Like if you're born in the United States, regardless of where your parents are from or who you are, if you're born in the United States, you're automatically granted American citizenship. I know that there's uh, obviously like exceptions to that. There's ways that they can get around it and stuff, but that tends to be the case. B- uh, birth in the United States, even if you're on, even if your mother is on holiday and she's nine months pregnant and has you, you're therefore American. Whereas uh, Trump tried hard to change that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a it's a tricky thing to get around. Actually, even people who've wanted to change that law, because a lot of people obviously do, especially on the right, um, have a hard time doing it because. Uh, y- it's not an easy thing to replace with another principle because like most of like the entire modern nation state and belonging to a nation state is founded on like one of these two or a mix of these two principles. And the other one, Jus sanguinis is, uh, the, the right of blood where like, for example, the way that I have Greek citizenship because my, my father is from Greece and my whole family and stuff on my father's side. So by right of like a lineage, I have, Greek citizenship. But it's crazy because like when you think about it too, like the idea of citizenship gets complicated when you have places that are effectively, you know, like a central, like a, like a nation state, but then within nation states, you can have different nations and nationality and citizenship are not always the same thing as like, as is evident here, you know, like you have the United Kingdom and within the United Kingdom, there's four countries you know, they're four nations mm-hmm. and you could, uh, or like another a big one that gets brought up constantly. That's really complicated is Israel because Israel is a, a state and within the state of Israel is, uh, Israeli nationality, which is defined by being Jewish. So you can have uh, Palestinian nationality and still have Israeli citizenship, but your actual rights as an Israeli citizen, as a Palestinian national are limited and then there's people within the occupied territory in, in Israel, right? Well, well, what's effectively Palestine, but occupied by Israel. And they don't have, they have neither citizenship nor like any officially recognized nationality, which is why lots of uh, Israelis you meet refer to Palestinians just as Arabs. You know, it's like a way to get around this idea that they, uh, that there is such a thing as Palestine or a Palestinian. It's great, so... And I think with America, because America is um, kind of like the modern template for what we think of when we think of uh, one, at least one of the two, you know, they are like the the, the clearest embodiment of that, like uh, juice solely, the, the right of soil, like being born somewhere because no one obviously is of blood lineage in the United States unless you're Native American. And, and they're not, I mean, and they're not American because they're from there again, that again, it gets complicated because if you're one of the, one of like the early people from the American continent, there was no such thing as America. You're not, your nationality is not American. You know, you're just from that actual landmass. Yeah. And you're actually likely not from that landmass because you came over the Bering Strait. We're all <laughs> African in that right, sense. Exactly. Exactly. The only original Americans were Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the bison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even uh, then, who knows? Who knows what... Uh, yeah, yeah. They were originally uh, just rats in the time of the dinosaurs. They were just tiny little buffalo running around. <laughs> They're the only things that survived when all the bigger things died. And yeah. they just kept eating and eating. And over thousands of years, they became huge. But 
Yeah. It's well known that buffalo, all large animals today, were originally tiny. Elephants were tiny. <laughs> but it changes. Yeah. <laughs> As do the uh, populations. But no, obviously, uh, for all intents and purposes, those in- people are indigenous to this land. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, it becomes complicated when you manifest your destiny all over it. And then (laughs) you need to, you know, simultaneously justify the fact that, well, this is my land, you know. (laughs) Maybe it can be your land, too. (laughs) But uh, I know I just got here. But I'm going to need to somehow lay an official claim to this. Yeah. it's funny too, isn't it? Because I, I think that that sort of mentality is part of what instilled the sort of openness with that sort of uh, nationality linked to the soil sort of thing. Because so many of those people were new there, and the only thing they kind of had was that they were here now. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and 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 the the I feel like the the thing that we're living through now, especially like I was thinking about this mostly last last year with the, all the black lives matter protests, the thing that made me think about it was if you, uh, like really African American identity, African American national identity, African American citizenship is, uh, the easiest point at which to pick up this question of like what it means to be from somewhere when you're talking about the United States, because the legacy of history of American history is most and all the things that are that are playing out now in the 21st century that tie all the way back to the 16th 15th, 17th century they play out and are never gone and that's most evident in these in these issues I think that are that are playing out with like racism and and structural like racism as like a, an ideology but also structural racism and the way that people think about what it means to be um, you know, American, I guess like that's the, there's no better example than that. I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy to pick the thread up right there. That's the, the coal face, I think of, of the question of like what it means to be American is there like what black lives matter and, and like other black activists and black radicals are talking about. And it's, um, it's easy to get confused about it. I mean, I think that a lot of like, a, a lot, I think black people probably have a much clearer, and more streamlined idea about what it means because it's like a direct lived experience. And, uh, they know, they know, um, from like the experience of racism that America never intended for them to be citizens, which is evident when you read history, you know what I mean? Like even like Lincoln, everybody, that's the thing. It's so different for you guys over there. There's so much more meaning to citizenship, especially right now. Uh, but here it's so empty for so many people. Like, we just don't think of it that way. It's like just another empty promise that doesn't really have purchase yeah. in reality. Uh, and you don't even need to understand the problems to see that kind of evidently. Uh, and that was the thing that made so, me want to watch that movie glory as well. Again, to rewatch it as cause I was reading Du Bois and everything. Cause it's funny. You mm-hmm. see like, like Lincoln had this idea. I'm going to emancipate these people. It was a strategic move. 
to undermine the South's labor force. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. to like deepen the strike that African-Americans were kind of performing by like not working or working really slowly or defecting to the union or even then taking up arms and fighting. Right. Cause, yeah. uh, but, but he never thought, Oh, what, when I freed them, when he free, you know, I'm using air quotes here when, when, uh, Lincoln, uh, you know, signed the, uh, emancipation proclamation. I think that his, in his mind, these people were, were Africans and he was going to send them back or he was going to start a colony somewhere on the American landmass and have them like be isolated to that one place. I don't think he ever intended for black people to take sort of like full participatory roles in American society as equal citizens, you know, like, and that's, that's a, that has that attitude, that viewpoint and all of the laws and decisions that government has taken since reconstruction has, you know, been imbued with that logic. And we're living through a sort of unraveling of that now, like working that out, because I mean, obviously, it's hundreds of years, like, you know, 150 years later, 100. And, uh, and, you know, African Americans are Americans. And that's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. And like you were saying as well over here, it's different. But I mean, even that, was uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was only, even that was only, like you said, to punish the Confederacy. Uh, it didn't right. actually free the slaves in all of America, just in the Confederacy. That's something that, exactly. you know, again, people don't really point out, is that the Emancipation Proclamation only covered places that were in, you know, like in, uh, in, in rebellion. Uh from the United States, so... And also, realistically, it actually freed no one because, you know, the, the Confederacy was in... was seceding from the United States, so he passed a law that only covered a group of people that were not listening to him. So, like, when right, he exactly. actually passed the Emancipation Proclamation, it affected nobody. Right. Uh, except, except people who would escape from the South to the North were then considered free. Right. Uh... They had to win the Civil War for it to apply to the southern states, but it wasn't until amending the Constitution that people actually that it ended slavery. You know, yeah. uh, and one of the interesting things that Du Bois points out is that it also kind of legalized what was already kind of an accomplished fact. For like, I mean, you had like uh, about three and a half million African Americans in the United States or in, at the time, or in the sorry, in the South at the time and a million and a half of them had figured out a way to like get it. they they they'd either you know abandoned their the plantations where their quote unquote owners lived or they were like actively in you know in the service of the union army fighting the confederacy so well i mean these people were for all intents and purposes like behaving as free people they were like making decisions that was like they were using agency so it was sort of just like you know enshrining in law an accomplished fact that's one of the things that's one of the, the central things that made Du Bois's book back in 1935 when it was published. So I guess revolutionary is because I think up until that point, the narrative had been that like black people had done very little to accomplish their own uh, emancipation and had like not really, you know, had much of a part in it, that it was something that just sort of like was bestowed upon them, which is just like completely wrong and obviously almost the opposite of the truth. So that's interesting mm -hmm. to think about this. And here now, all the problems that we're having here in the UK and in the rest of Europe as well, it's it's uh, it's the same but different in a way, if that's the best way I can put it, really. 
is uh, you've got all these laws coming in now. So uh, Pretty Patel has uh, is pushing through a law now that makes it uh, makes it so that if you if you apply for asylum in the UK, having come into the UK illegally, then you're automatically rejected. You're not allowed to. They're, they're going to make it impossible, which is ridiculous because most people who need to seek asylum are not able to go through the established channels to do that. They can't just yeah. like go to the embassy and apply because there a lot of them are like escaping torture or war or they're being trafficked. You know what I mean? It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's patently a way to just like reduce, you know, to decimate the number of people who are applying for asylum, you know? Yeah. And uh and that idea that that someone from a country that we've probably gone in and uh, and and quote unquote liberated <laughs> like like all these places. I mean, the, the places where people are coming from are places where we have made a mess, you know, or they're coming through countries where we have made a mess like Libya. So these people escaping the war in Syria, a lot of them are coming through Libya. And uh, yeah, that's why uh, anti-imperialism has to be our immigration strategy, you know, <laughs> Exactly. Like we can't uh, we can't solve it any other way than not making the lives of people around the world awful. Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm no. Yeah. I I also think that one of the things that's one lesson we can learn from Pretty Patel's actions because we're going to talk about this as well. Uh, what to do with the the police bill? The um, and everything that's been happening with uh, the the fights with the police in Bristol and stuff, um, and the way that Pretty Patel has managed it and often mismanaged it, I think that uh, she's a really good example of how I, I don't want to like use this term loosely, like in a throwaway way, a throwaway manner, but weaponizing identity politics in this like lazy kind of narrow two-dimensional way where just like simply having someone from a minority background be in a position of power is in and of itself like a good thing that is a view that i i don't think is valid and i think it's a good example of why it's not valid is someone like pretty patel because you're like she's a mm -hmm. woman she's from an asian background and she is a fucking asshole <laughs> she's yeah. a massive fucking cock you know <clears throat> well We've got our vice queen here, uh, vice queensident uh, Kamala Harris, who is also a woman uh, and also a minority, which is what is important. You know, it's not important that in this time of, uh, you know, racial strife and uh, exploding uh, institutional racism that she was very much a part of that problem. <laughs> as a prosecutor in California for so long, you know, uh, you have to remember she is a minority. Uh, and you also have to remember that she is a woman. So therefore, the fact that she's about to speak <laughs> would do a one on one interview with uh, Bill Clinton uh, about the ways that the uh, pandemic is affecting women, the impact it's having on women. She's having a one on one with Bill Clinton 
Like, uh, and not talking about the other ways that he's had an impact on women. Oh, yeah, he's had an impact like, on a lot of women, it, especially it is, women it under is 16. Absurd. It is, yeah, yeah, it is absolutely absurd. Uh, and, uh, like, the difficulty that someone has in addressing this because of this sort of shallow, fake, bad faith, dishonest identity politics that is exclusively practiced by the center liberals. You know, like, uh, the, the far right, your Tucker Carlson's and stuff will do it extremely tongue in cheek. You know, <laughs> they'll be like, what about that is like extremely tongue in cheek trying to like, uh, you know, uh, like dismantle a weak argument, uh, by making a really, <laughs> an equally bad comparison, knowing that you guys make the bad comparisons too. But most of the honest problematic cases where someone is actually trying to uh, absolve someone's past or present or potential future actions or lack thereof through identity politics is pretty much exclusively the purview of the center liberals. Uh, and exactly. Kamala Harris is maybe the biggest example of it. Yeah, in the States you know? for sure. She's a great example. Yeah, like symbolically, sure, it's great that we now have a female pre vice president, that we now have someone that women, g young girls can look up to. Yes, all these things are wonderful. Practically, it means very little and can actually be more destructive than helpful in many ways if you, you don't hold them to any sort of account for what they're actually doing. Yeah. Right. And, but... and, and a funny thing about that argument, right, about, because uh, I understand it, and it's like we're rehashing battles from like the 70s and the 80s because a lot of my favorite authors from like the 80s 70s 80s and 90s a lot of my favorite people who were like active and stuff would always say you know no one like no one who looks like me is ever on television you know shows don't uh depict people with my lifestyles and stuff like that which was a, i'm not i'm not trying to argue against the legitimacy of that argument especially when it's well made and in good faith because you're like yes absolutely i mean it's good that, you know, there's a diversity of different lifestyles, races, uh, the way that people express gender and sexuality. These things need to be represented. We don't want to just have like a homogenous monoculture of that's just like predominantly white, predominantly straight, predominantly cis. But I mean, even a long time ago, you could tell that it didn't matter just that a woman in power was not in and of itself an advancement for women. I mean, Margaret Thatcher is a good example of that over here, right? I mean, she was... A fucking beast, you know. Like it's like, a, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And and like you said again, and the arguments now are. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, going off of what we said, Ilhan Omar said that she was inspired by Margaret Thatcher as a child, having a woman in leadership like that. You know, as a child, she didn't realize like the, that she would eventually disagree with her policies. But as a child, all she saw was this woman in charge and respected and you know that's a powerful thing but yeah. you know does that <laughs> absolve any of what margaret thatcher did <laughs> no no it? but like i guess i guess it's a good thing that women around the world are able to positively misinterpret <laughs> the realities <laughs> yeah, in exactly. 
Yeah. No, it's good. It's just a testament to how much, how far we have to come. We have so many battles to overcome. We can't even talk about the quality of our leadership because the simple identity of who our leadership has been has been so skewed for so long that it's revolutionary in many ways just to have a woman in the vice presidency, let alone the presidency. You know? It's like, this is how far we, we, we need to travel. Uh... Yeah, and it just sucks that everyone is so willing to throw away so many solutions. <laughs> right. Or also, too, I mean, it's With not that. just that; it frames the whole conversation in a way that decenters the idea of solidarity. Or like, what again? What I, like the, coming back to the original thing I was saying? Like, what does it mean to be American? How important is it to be American? I mean, what is like mm-hmm. the defining characteristic of of good for? Uh, you know, when you're talking about public policy or you're talking about society, where does the good come from? Does the, uh, where does the good come from for Americans? Does it come from an idea that Americans should be good to Americans or does it come from a wider idea that people should be good to people? And it's like, it's funny because you have to talk about it. It's like a, a thing you can't avoid. You can't avoid the subject of citizenship, nationality, identity. These are, these are things that you can't avoid. You have to confront them in some way. But I would argue that the, the, the way the categories we've used thus far have been imperfect and are maybe becoming like a hindrance to actually having a clear view of the situation. And in a good example of this is even people who are, you know, on the left, like even communists, like I'm, I was, I'm thinking particularly of this tweet that I saw by one of my favorite, uh, like artists at the moment. One of my, like, I love her music. I think she's fucking great. She's called no name. I don't know if everybody who listens to this show has heard of her. I'm, I'm just going to assume that you have, she's fucking great, but she, uh, she's a communist. She does a really cool, uh, like reading group, uh, book club. She's got like the no name book club. She reads all these like old black radical and like communist texts and stuff. And she, um, also has like quite a big online presence, but she tweeted this thing the other day that I found really disappointing because, uh, it didn't not, not just because of the fact that it's the basest form of identity politics, but also cause it's just like as a communist, I feel like she should know better. She basically said in this tweet, I didn't say anyone deserves to suffer. I said I will not be in solidarity with white people just because they experience poverty under capitalism. The masses of white people have continuously stood in opposition to black liberation. Now, I mean, what she's saying there is not particularly uh, like, I mean, I can understand to an extent, you know, like she's not going to automatically because she's a communist sympathize with poor white people. But I mean, the the context of this argument is that people have been talking about homeless white people. And the, the, the way I saw this tweet was actually it being retweeted by someone who was uh, quote tweeting it and said, to be honest, this is why I don't ever donate to white houseless folks like, sorry, your ancestors made your beds, y'all need to lie in them. And that that I think is just like, that's just like a dumb a dumb take and it's just like ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shitty. I can understand the sentiment and where it comes from, but it's not solidarity. Like it's, we're never going to win like that. Uh, I I don't understand where it comes. I mean, I can, I do, I know where it comes from, but I, I think, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's dumb. Cause it's like, you're, you're totally misreading the situation. Here. I mean, like the idea 
it's also like focusing in it's it's one of those like missing the forest for the trees kind of thing as well where you're mm-hmm. like you're focusing yeah. on like this a- white homeless people in the abstract going like do, do we feel sorry for them or do we not do we feel solidarity with them or do we not and it's like what what you're you're completely misunderstanding like what the project is here you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it, it's not like like class poverty race all of these categories that we've been using to describe like a a power uh, a relationship uh, it's a social relationship a power structure it's not a physical structure it's not made of anything solid you know and it's like to saying that you're not gonna sympathize with homeless white people is like i mean like i mean i can understand if you just personally feel, if that's like a personal thing that you feel you know like that's fine but i like it just seems like a like something that a dickhead would say you know what i mean just like it makes you this is like an ugly like shitty thing to say it's not really like a political statement it doesn't have much political content and it started this whole thing didn't it where like well i mean like i said i can i can i can understand all manner of reactions to the 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 situation that we're in the problematic nature of so many things about society and history and this moment where you know, so much information is available, so much misinformation is available, and it can just be very exasperating to to look at anything and have and try and have faith, let alone uh, that things can get better, let alone to like actively try and solve things. You're going to be met with resistance in so many ways, uh, and just you're going to be reminded of so many other problems that exist and whatnot, and racism and the legacy of white supremacy is just like so powerful and so pervasive that I understand the notions of shutting down and saying F every single person who has, you know, propagated this system and whatnot, you know, uh, it's not helpful. You're not going to help change anything, uh, for the better. Um, but, uh, I can sympathize with the desire to feel that or the the place that that sort of feeling comes from more than I can sympathize with the people who, you know, like have propagated these things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know what you mean. But no, absolutely. Like, it's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult uh, to, to help those that you disagree with so strongly on other issues, but to have solidarity with them where it matters. Uh, but the thing, the thing that I took umbrage with about this was not just that. I mean, that's like a, that's a generous way of, of framing this question here. Cause I mean, like to, to kind of do the due diligence here, like I, I obviously, I do not consider myself to be like an authority on what anyone who's suffered under racism should think or feel Well, you know what I mean? Like I, that's not my, place obviously and i obviously don't have firsthand experience of being you know uh like suffering that kind of racism and uh i i i can imagine a situation where someone would respond like this if they were black and being kind of like pressured to empathize with people if like someone in bad faith was trying to find yeah but what about like a homeless white person like are you telling me that like that they're this or that you know i can understand someone like feeling like a 
a pushback against that, where it's like, you know, you're, if you're, if you're being made to empathize with someone, you would kind of take a stance where like, no, fuck you. No, fuck them too. You know, I get that, but it's just, um, I just think that it, it, it brings up a bigger question, which again is like, what, like, what are, what are the categories, you know, like, what is the thing that defines you? Is it your race or is it your gender or is it your class? I mean, what are the things, you know, what, like, what is it that we're talking about? Like, if you really scratch and you like really pull this apart and you kind of like dig a little deeper, like, what is it that we're talking about? You know, because at the end of the day, I think, I mean, my opinion is, and I feel like a communist would agree with me is we're talking about like a, a social relationship to power and power is controlling the way that like the world gets produced, you know? And, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, it's from that standpoint, from that vantage point, which doesn't seem like a big, you know, ask of someone to understand from that vantage Mm -hmm. point, it's not a big stretch to see that like loads of people from loads of different backgrounds and loads of different, um, subcategories are, are, uh, in some ways on the same side and in other ways in opposition, and to like be that categorical about it is like, to me, just like, well, I, I don't understand the value in that. Like, what does it lead to? What does that do for the person saying it, for the person taking that stance? What good does it do? Like, what do they actually want in that case? You know, what do you get from being like, well, fuck homeless white people because they're settler colonialists? Well, you get to say fuck white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, I understand, again, why people would want to say it, you know? <laughs> I, uh... Yeah. yeah, but then the second half of that question is, what does it do? Like, I, get, I understand, like, that it, that it does something for you personally, but what's the, like, the overall effect of that? No, that, I mean, I'll, like yeah. I said, the, I don't think that it has a positive effect, yeah, yeah. but I don't think that's why... That's not why they're doing a it. ...a person says that sort of thing. Right, right. right. But, We'll see, like, uh, she's, um, you know, defending it. (laughs) Yeah. I also would defend any artist's right to be a dumb, dumb baby with dumb opinions. And like, I don't care. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, it doesn't make me like no name less. I'm not like, oh, fuck Or really anyone. I respect anyone's right to have that other than elected officials. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a big distinction there because she's not an elected official. She's a fucking <laughs> artist and her art is amazing. And like a lot of artists have like like good and bad opinions, some and sometimes both at once. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I, I, just, I don't know. Most successful artists, not most, but like successful artists can... Uh, kind of break in two directions. Uh, One is to have an incredible amount of sympathy for the fact that they were able to be successful in in a field that is so unlikely to be successful in. Uh, And depending on what kind of art you're talking about, it's even less unlikely. But but, uh, I feel like a lot of the ones who do become successful actually kind of lose a little bit of touch with the realities of what that is and and think a little bit too much about like sort of a protestant influence that like it's like their 
sort of hard work and their like talent and everything like that that is the reason that they got to where they are and blah 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 yeah uh, which i'm sure thing. yeah and like i'm sure that's a huge influence but like there's i don't care how talented you are at what like <laughs> you can be brought down by this world no one will ever hear your name you know hey you know like uh and like uh yeah, so it's definitely a double-edged sword. A lot of a lot of artists are incredibly humble and incredibly understanding of how lucky they are to have uh broken through in a medium that is unavailable to so many people. Uh athletes can be that way too, but most most artists and most athletes tend to think uh, tend to you know kind of develop a little bit of a conservative mindset about their place in society because they put a little bit of more of that uh, emphasis on their hard work and their talent and skill. Yeah. And at least there's an argument for them because yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly they put in hard work and have talent <laughs> and skill, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> which is not something you can say for the CEO of you know my <laughs> asshole or whatever. You know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Myasshole.net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's true. Like, it's, and they're, a lot of people are sort of just like, uh, Actually, they're syndicating, they're syndicating uh, an ideology that, that was much, much like more prevalent than them. And that was there before they were there. And that will be there after they're gone. And it's this weird, horrible thing that, that is, uh, you know, a, a kind of like effect of capitalism, which everything tends to look, Everything tends the, the the social relations tend to become naturalized, and they seem like they're natural effects that exist that have nothing to do with capitalism itself. They're just like the natural order of things, and you know. So when you have a shitty job, it's like you know it's because you didn't do well enough in school, you didn't try hard enough, or you just don't you simply not trying to love your job enough, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know if you're poor, it's like because you're just like not you just haven't worked as hard as the guy who made a million dollars, which is patently ridiculous as you know anyone who has any sense any like mm -hmm. an ounce of fucking sense can see that that's just like stupid i mean like the the example the best example is like loads of people have said this before i i can't find one source for it but you know that thing where it's like uh you, you can work for you know maybe you're earning however much money right you know if you're earning like even like you could earn a little bit of money like you're only earning like twenty thousand dollars a year maybe even less or maybe you're earning fifty or $60,000 a year. Maybe even more than that. A little bit more than that. I, I mean, no matter what, in three months' time, you'll never be able to work hard enough that in three months' time you're suddenly going to be a millionaire. But you're always only three months away, you know, three paychecks away mm -hmm. from being fucking homeless, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's an important yeah. one to remember. I thought that was a good place to, to seg into the subject of policing because uh, the last episode we were talking about the bill, which was uh, going into uh, its second reading and coming back from the, the Lords back to the Commons for another vote. And then the government decided that they're going to postpone the third reading and vote because there's been so much kickback. There's been uh, a lot of pressure from academics and uh and policymakers like people from think tanks and uh, public figures, loads of opposition to this bill, the policing bill, which would enable the police to decide uh, just on the spur of the moment what constituted proportionate protest. And this would include things like if you did a one man protest, 
and it was a uh, you know maybe like you were you were yelling they could decide that that yelling that you were doing maybe you were in like a very busy very loud city doing a one man protest and kind of shouting they could say like oh you're being too loud and they could give you like you know 3 years in prison or something and uh another thing that they could do is now they've th- there's been people from uh like legal charities and human rights and civil rights charities who've looked through the actual legal wording of the document of the legislation and the wording is vague and it it leaves open to interpretation uh activities like i was saying before they call it ac- they call uh any sort of protester who's disrupting the the normal the normal flow of business and everything an aggravated activist and it it's possible that this legislation because of the wording especially around the disruption of business if it adversely impacts business that could include something as you know benign and uh and maybe simple and straightforward and widely accepted as proportionate and reasonable as boycotting somewhere so or taking a knee even because all you'd have to do uh, the only the only criteria and it's up to the police to decide whether you're doing this or not is causing undue upset or disruption to business i mean that can basically mean anything i mean the nature of protest is to be disruptive and yeah you know what i mean (laughs) like that's the point of it that's why you make demonstrations that's why you do direct action that's what these things are for they're there to intervene in a way that disrupts the normal flow of events so that you're bringing attention to the cause and also maybe even intervening and stopping something that you think is bad from happening um but yeah uh, the government decided to pause this third reading and vote until september but it's not gone away Mm. there have been mass demonstrations especially in bristol where uh protesters clashed with the police now the obviously everywhere you read even the guardian the bbc all of these news outlets have described the situation as though these poor little policemen were just confronted by the black block and were just you know pummeled by these you know demonic crazy people who um you know have for some reason some strong opinion about this thing and uh, the poor police have just taken a, a real beating and the police even went so far as to lie about the beating they took. So they announced in a press conference the other day that um, that police had been had, uh, you know, had sustained injuries, including broken bones. And one guy apparently had a punctured lung from the battle in the streets in Bristol. And then it turns out that these motherfuckers were lying. <laughs> they, they, they just made that shit up. And, and this was a headline that went everywhere in the UK. They were talking about it like it was, you know. Like just the end of civilization, you know, everybody was coming and hurting the police and these poor police, what could they do? And they sustained all these injuries. And then very quietly in uh, like a couple of days later, they announced like, oh, no, that wasn't that wasn't true. And that did not naturally circulate yeah. quite as widely as the first headline. So, <laughs> in fact, it's very hard to find it anywhere. Um, if anybody is more interested in hearing about this, I mean, I, I recommend that you write to your MP. If you're living in the UK, you should write to your MP about this because uh, even though it's not taking the, the next reading isn't taking place until September, it's still important that we keep up the pressure in the, in the meantime. And just tell them if you don't, you're going to turn into America. (laughs) (laughs) You'd hate that. Wouldn't you MP? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But um, also if you're interested, I recorded the letter that I wrote 
to my MP uh, for another podcast. It's called the Open Mic Podcast. My friend Alfie runs it. Uh, it should be coming out very soon. Uh, maybe even maybe even today. Pro- it, by the time you hear this, I'm hoping that it will be out. So you should go check that out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah, and I recommend you do the same. I also recommend that you follow what Sisters Uncut is doing. Sisters Uncut are this great group, and they're 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 very cool, they're very rad, and they're very organized. And there's loads of branches of Sisters Uncut, and they've been at the forefront of most of this action against this bill. So uh, just like Google Sisters Uncut, check them out and get involved if you have the time. Or the inclination, which I recommend you do. But, um, yeah, one of the things that's interesting about all of this is that it's come on the back of the murder of Sarah Everard. So, just to recap, I, you, I, I think you probably remember this, but just to recap in case you don't, Norm. She was this 33-year-old woman who was walking home alone at night, yeah. and she disappeared. And it turns out that uh, the suspect now in her murder is a, a, a cop. And... When a group of women, not just women, it was men as well, but it was a, it was like women's rights groups uh, held a vigil in her honor. They were met with brutality from the police. And apparently now we know, like since the last time we talked about this in the last episode, that Pretty Patel actually spoke to Cressida Dick, you know, Salad Dick, um, who's the head of the Metropolitan Police. And Cressida Dick apparently didn't want to crack down on any of these kinds of vigils or anything. And Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, said, no, you you should. <laughs> and kind of rest, pressed her into it. And then, when it blew up in their faces, Pretty Patel, of course, the, the gem that she is, threw Cressida Dick under the bus. No, I'm not, like, giving any love to Cressida Dick here because, I mean, she's a fucking cop, right? So, but, uh, but it, you know, she wasn't trying to... She wasn't trying to crack down on these people in quite that way, they figured. Mm-hmm. And, th- and since then, there's also been an inquiry... And at this hearing, they were asking questions about the the response. And um, from reports I heard from uh, journalists who were present, uh, uh, they were relating in real time on Twitter and read about it later. There was a big thing about the difference between a vigil and a protest. And it was very much framed as like vigil good, protest bad, vigil legitimate, protest not, vigil we can let happen, protest we should crack down, vigil legal, protest illegal. Which is crazy, because, um, and luckily there were a few people in the room who were going like, no, 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 this is a completely incorrect way to think about this. You know, there is not a real clear distinction between a vigil and a protest. Many would argue, including the people who organize the vigil, that a vigil is a form of protest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, a, and that, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it's even been said, I mean, a judge ruled that the police did not have a right to stifle protest, even under extraordinary measures that were given to them by the, the COVID act. Yeah. The, the laws, the emergency legislation they've put through because of COVID, the things where they enforce social distancing, et cetera. So we're in a situation now where the stakes are high and, uh, tempers are also high. There's lots happening. I think a lot of people don't know how to interpret the events in Bristol because it just looks like meaningless violence, but it's worth remembering the, frame, the famous phrase that the, the Irish poet and playwright Brendan Behan said, I've never encountered a situation so bad that a cop couldn't make it worse. So <laughs> worth remembering. And now, um, yeah, that's all I just wanted to say about that. I think it's interesting because that's basically this is the like uh, to use the same phrase again. This is the coalface. This is where these forces of history and these these tensions and these contradictions that are in like you know 
that are part of capitalism. They're unfolding and unfurling before us here at this point on the street between like gender and race activists and people arguing in favor of their uh, of the working class and for solidarity and the the people who hold power in the society and it's not and, the, and the, you never meet the people who hold power in the society directly their surrogates in the street are the cops that's what the cops are the cops are there to ensure the smooth accumulation of capital <laughs> and anything that gets in the way you can bet your ass will be made illegal and they will sick the cops on you. You know what I mean? So that's what's happening. I think mm-hmm. that's a, I'm sorry. I'm not being funny at all. I'm, I'm not funny though. You're the comedian. That's your job. Say something funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's a cold face? <laughs> I've always assumed that it's like the notion of, the front lines of working people where like, you know, you're coming out of like the coal mine or whatever. So you got the coal on the face. <laughs> you got the coal on the face. And is that the correct way that I should be thinking and interpreting about it? Because from what you've been saying the last few minutes, I feel like I might be mistaken. Just like when I thought it might be a good idea to for no reason do this accent. But you wanted something funny, so I sacrificed my good sense and my tact and my... my <laughs> in the flizzle plasm in the skimmity bar. <laughs> see, this oh, is... this boy. Is, you see, you know that you're, you're genuinely like a PMC, don't you, Norm? You're a PMC, because you don't know anything about coal... Or coal faces. The coal face is like the bit when you go down the mine, like where it's like the big wall of coal that you're like picking away at. Yeah, that's the coal face. Oh, okay. And so it, I'm, I'm somewhat right. <laughs> the coal face is the is not a human face. It is the face of Mother Gaia that we chip away at for our energy and goods. Because I know in the thick of it, they kept talking about like. Uh, how like going to talk to the workers and stuff, you know, they kept referring to it as a week at the coal face, you know, like, uh, and so I figured it was like, you go and you talk to the people, you end up getting dirty like them and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I got to rewatch the thick of it with you so that you can uh, point out to me when the, what all the jokes that I don't get are. (laughs) Oh man, it's great. It's already so funny. Yeah. I can tell that there's so much I'm not getting, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's very good. Uh, uh, but yeah, but it's something um, tangentially related to what you're talking about with the police bill, but also related strongly to politics, which I just want to, uh, you know, it's always point out these two big things that are now our new problems in America, as though we didn't have any other, <laughs> so many others, which are that now uh, the Democrats, like the Joe Bidens of the world, are given such massive passes because they are not Trump. They are in, quote-unquote, opposition to Trump. Oh, yeah. So all of their failures and their uh, shortcomings uh, get minimized and uh, because people are so quick to be like, oh, at least it's not Trump. Oh, would you rather have Trump? So that's a problem. Mm. Um, But... uh, 
also, there's the big problem that I knew was a problem from the very beginning, which is that people hate Trump so much and he's so like, you know, just viscerally, you know, and like everything he says and does, people despise and whatnot, that uh, this sort of lesser Trumpism, we'll call it, instead of lesser evilism, uh, as long as you're better than Trump, which kind of everyone can be argued to be better than Trump, uh, then yeah. you're in some ways acceptable. You're good. So yeah, yeah. two places. Yeah, yeah. And so it's problematic, you know, from the centrists who don't have to, you know, enact bold progressive policies because at least they're not enacting Trump's policies. And also it's massively problematic because it diminishes uh, people's, caution and you know growing antipathy for the real sort of villains of american politics the real active antagonists of american politics which are the republicans the you know like the the senate and house republicans and the national republican party uh trump is just kind of an outshoot of them and it's just the result of what they've been doing and like uh like i always say uh the worst thing about the Democrats is that they enable the Republicans, you know. Uh, it's not just that they have this listless ideology, Democrats, that isn't going to advance society to, <laughs> as fast as it needs to be, uh, but also, you know, their their uninspiring leadership creates the space for these awful monsters to gain leadership and do much more active destruction that uh, hastens all of these global problems that we have but yeah so one place that this really exploded in my opinion is brian kemp in georgia uh the governor he just passed a sweeping uh election reform set of uh, measures that uh you know, makes a, that restricts voting rights, uh, is likely unconstitutional, even many are arguing, but, you know, he's doing this despite the fact that he is, he was one of Trump's biggest targets because he wouldn't, you know, like favorably rig Georgia for him, uh, or at least wouldn't like admit that Georgia was rigged against him. Right, right, right. Uh, and yeah, yeah. And so Republicans turned on him. But, you know, it, like, so, like, there's a simultaneous uh, pressure that he's feeling from Republicans, I'm sure, and yeah. from the right to kind of try and show that, like, no, I'm not flipping about voting and stuff. And I'm, you know, going to be strict on, on voting, like, rights, which is really, like, Maybe you know, restriction of voting. Talk a little more about but, that. Uh, like, talk a little more yeah, about yeah. that, like, about the Hold substance. On. Okay. I am, yeah, yeah, like, because there's an important context here that uh, that is totally lost now because the story has now become about him being this foil to, uh, to Trump and his attempt at, like, overt <laughs> stealing of this election. Um, who Brian Kemp actually is is one of the greatest examples of voter suppression in modern American politics. The reason that Stacey Abrams is someone that Americans associate with voting rights, the reason that she became a voting rights activist is because she essentially had the Georgia governorship robbed from her by Brian Kemp two years ago. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, 
she ended up focusing on voting rights because of all the blatant and obvious voter suppression that was undertaken by Brian Kemp, who at the time was, I believe, Georgia's Secretary of State. So he was in charge of the registrar and the voting laws and whatnot. And so he did some wildly uh, inappropriate things to restrict poor people from getting to the polls, from having polls, a lot of election day intimidation that was going on, and a lot of stuff that unfortunately no one could get proper recourse for, and he ended up winning. And so he's this awful person who is a voter, who is a, a paragon of voter suppression, uh, and he was somehow uh you know, he he's now allowed to, like, actually pass a set of more stringent, possibly unconstitutional restrictions on voting and get it largely, get a lot of political cover for it because the far right is against him, because Trump is against him. It's absurd. It's like if you cannot see yeah, he gets how... The obsession with Trump is fundamentally degrading everything about our institutions it's true. in ways other than the explicit ways where he tries to right. undermine our institutions. It's the reaction to him that's aiding in actual conservative Republicans who are much more effective at crafting awful legislation than Trump and his ilk are. It's giving them cover to do stuff like this. And it's also like, I, I think it's worth mentioning too, that just, uh, I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday uh, because of the time difference, but um, uh, Georgia state representative Park Cannon was arrested knocking on yeah. Brian Kemp's office door after he signed this law, and, uh, and well, it, not only did he, it's because he signed the law in a clo in his office with the doors the closed. Door closed, right? And she was trying to, she was knocking on the <laughs> and door. She was knocking on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's she like, literally a state representative got arrested for for disrupting the legislative session. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane, right? And it's another. It, it again, it, like it comes down to this thing as well. Like, um, uh, again, I, I feel like there's got to we start have we have to start asking these questions about citizenship what it means to be american what it means to be from somewhere like because these things are i think that they're like uh like jesse jackson would say they're like rocks laying around on the ground you know they're they're tools that we can use because um i mean obviously in the broader picture uh being a citizen of somewhere is not as important as being like a a good human it's not as important even to me as being like part of the the class that you're in you know like if you're if you're a person who works for a living if you're not one of the one percent then you're like one of the 99 percent. that's probably a better place to to see yourself from but on the same token the framing things in terms of citizenship and rights that are uh that, that come with citizenship these are important ways of framing conversations to get things done because she's uh, park cannon's doing a great job here getting arrested demonstrating uh clearly how there's a double standard with uh you know you could be a state representative but you're black so you know they're gonna they're gonna come and arrest you for knocking on the door and uh yeah. you could be uh, a law-abiding working class or even like middle class african-american person in georgia and you know you're gonna have your rights uh, stamped on and, and eroded slowly bit by bit through legislation. You're going like to have your life in danger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but as far as the voting is concerned, even, I mean, they're actively trying to disenfranchise a particular type of voter. And why? Yeah. Obviously, because they're not fucking Republicans. And it's funny when you look at it like that, you realize it's a good message that we probably, uh, you know, that people are doing a good job of trying to communicate, I think, which is that 
conservatives, one of the biggest lies that conservatives have uh, have pulled over on people in America is that loads of people in America are conservative because it's just not fucking true. Yeah. If it weren't <laughs> for the fact that they are such just like charlatans and they're so good at gaming the system, they're, like the system is rigged and they're good at playing the game, moving the goalposts. If they weren't able to do that, if things were just like the if, if, we, if America was the democracy that it claimed that it was, no one would ever fucking vote. There'd never be a Republican president. There'd never be a Republican dominated Congress or Senate because people just don't fucking believe that shit. You know, most people mm-hmm. don't believe that shit. And it's the same, like, and if things were weighted more evenly, if it were like one person, one vote, and that counted across the board on the county, state, and federal level, there just wouldn't be conservative, like, uh, there wouldn't be like these ultra conservative Republicans ruling the nation for decade upon decade. But the Democrats are doing their part to lessen the ability to do this voter disenfranchisement of these blocks like racial minorities and poor people by losing the, those people as their block entirely. <laughs> that seems to be their strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's awful. Norm, I'm surprised that we've gotten this far into our conversation without talking about what arguably is like the biggest news of the, of the week. Right. And that is um, Joe Biden falling up the stairs. I mean, like, <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I honestly, it just pisses me off so much. Like, uh, when I think back to like, not only the bad faith arguments, but the a number one thing I heard before he actually declared when I would mention that Bernie Sanders should run again was he's too old. I heard this from leftists. I heard this from my friends, people who ended up working for Bernie before he actually declared, they initially were like, oh, no, he's too old. Someone else should run. And then, of course, when he actually did run, there were all the bad faith arguments about him being too old and whatnot. When he was clearly one of the only people present who did not seem to be showing the signs of aging. And it's not inconsequential that his big sort of resurgence uh came uh, after he recovered from a heart attack and kind of showed that, like, not even that is going to change or slow down the, you know, material, like, uh, uh, conditions that he is pushing for changing. Uh, but, yeah, instead we have this president who cannot, who, who keeps, unfortunately he has a stutter, so he keeps calling the vice president president. So, you know, but he has a, he, he was born with a stutter. Uh, so I'm, you're ableist for, for pointing that out. (laughs) God, I hate that so much. Like taking something that is important, calling out ableism, you know, and just using it for these awful bad faith arguments. It is so awful. So yeah, I, I, it really makes, it bothers me, uh, that this sort of stuff is happening. It's just going to get worse. We're in month one and a half of this man's presidency, you know, (laughs) like, uh, and he's already, abdicating the throne accidentally and falling upstairs. But the stairs Uh, thing, I mean, like he, the thing that was crazy for me about the stairs was he, he fell like three times. And then like the third time he was literally like on his knees on the stairs. And then when he got to the top, he did that little, like really serious salute. It was just like, this is to me, this is like, he is the man for the moment. I mean, he is America's president 
in like in so many ways. I mean, he is like yeah. he is like representative. He embodies where America is right now, which is rotting, brainless, funny, but also sad and maddening. And what can no. you do but laugh? Because if you don't laugh, you're just going to fucking burst into tears. And so does Trump. <laughs> And so yes. does Trump. Yeah, exactly. That's why it makes a ton of sense. It's just not very uh, uplifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what was it he said yesterday in the in his first? Uh, oh yeah. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, for our, maybe our UK listeners, he gave his first press conference yesterday. I mean, he's been really like like conspicuously absent from the scene for a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he gave his first press conference, the campaign, and his president. <laughs> That yeah. was like one of their main strategies was like, well, Hide him. we can't ever put him on camera. <laughs> <laughs> we have to minimize the amount that we expose him to human interaction. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And what did he say? And again, it, it like it just goes to make it that much more difficult to say that there's a problem with George W. Bush or Donald Trump being complete idiots, you know, because it's like, oh, no, let's. Not have them, let's have anybody but them. Someone who is not them, but also a complete idiot. Oh, he's also uh, sniffs people's hair and touches them and was one of the principal Democratic proponents of the Iraq War. But yeah, is there any other thing that we could say? Yeah, he also said a lot of bad things about minorities in yeah. the 90s. And let's know? not forget Tara Reid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. We have forgotten Terry. Don't worry. <laughs> we throw that Me Too shit out the window as soon as you made him a legitimate candidate. And again, like the Tucker Carlson's and the Trumps of the world can make their bad faith arguments of like, oh, you daddy's sniff and touch. But like, hey, it doesn't make them wrong just because you don't like the fact that they're making the argument. You know, maybe we shouldn't put ourselves in the position to have these assholes be able to make this argument. You know, like this is this is how you lose people like minorities and the poor when you're supposed when you're in opposition to the Republican Party. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you got to You got to bend over backwards to suck in order to lose out to people like the Republican Party. It's because uh, it's because but, they don't want to I don't think that they want to win or if they do want to win they don't want to win on those terms. They don't want to win in a way that means that they actually have to do anything because they represent the interests of the, they are they are the ruling they're an arm of the ruling class. I mean, I know there's a lot of great people involved with the Democratic Party. I freely acknowledge that. I don't doubt Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But I I think that eventually you know, there's just going to have to be a reckoning. There's going to have to be a reckoning. And in my opinion, I think that it's time to, like, put the Democratic Party away. I think that people need to, like, leave the Democratic Party. They need to st we need to form another party. I mean, I, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. Again, I just don't think that that's like a I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I just don't think from what I see, I don't think that's something that we have the timeline for. Someone who I believe is from Amazon was posting about how they're such a good company uh, with employee rights. Oh, they're you they're mean like the, a, the official a Amazon Twitter account arguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. This was someone named Dave Clark. I'm not sure who that is. I think it's someone, an executive from there. Uh, and then a representative replied to that saying, 
paying workers 15 doesn't 15 an hour doesn't make you a progressive workplace when you're anti-union you union bust and you make your employees pee in water bottles for fear of taking too long bathroom breaks and then amazon news which is an official spokes twitter of amazon uh replied to that saying you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing do you if that were true, nobody would work for us. The truth is we have over a million incredible employees. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, holy fuck. <laughs> what they said what was, kind yeah, of you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do nonsense. you? Nonsense. Yeah, yeah. What kind of gaslighting nonsense do you think you're engaging in? And also, it is true. So are you saying that people shouldn't work for you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that's what you're saying, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, God. You know, my... Uh, but, yeah. Amy Amy wrote, uh, like, a, a piece about, about uh, a book she was reviewing. And she talked about it and, like... She posited that that the reason that they like to do that is because Jeff Bezos is actually like a horrible piss pig and love, he like collects the bottles of piss that the Amazon employees piss into and he likes to bathe in it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> he is like, oh, my God, man. Jeff Bezos is like he looks like a little disgust. Like, I don't want to sh- I don't want to kink shame anyone. If you're into piss, that's great. Like good for you. <laughs> God bless you. Like I'm not, I'm not uh kink shaming, but like Jeff Bezos is definitely like, there's something wrong with him. And you want to be like, do you really believe that Jeff Bezos earned like $60 billion? Do you really believe that? <laughs> do you believe that one man earned that? It's like, did he work so hard? There's no amount of hard that I could work to earn $60 billion. <laughs> like, and like, I want to know how much harder than me does Jeff Bezos work? Okay. Because yeah, he yeah. would A have to harder. be working really fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. That's why he needs all that piss to, to satiate him. He's got a strong pistol. I can't wait till uh, Daniel Day-Lewis wins an Oscar for... Shaving his head and playing uh, Jeff Bezos. Oh, Jeff I would Bezos. Love it. If I have a piss fetish <laughs> and you are a worker who needs to piss, and I own a factory that penalizes you for pissing anywhere other than a bottle of water that you then throw away and I can confiscate, I <laughs> bathe in your piss. I bathe it up. <laughs> I'm the CEO of Amazon, clothed in immense power. Why can't I have pee? <laughs> I hear sometimes that uh, that the, the that our podcast like ends too abruptly. Because uh, I really I'm into like you know cold edits man i'm into that i'm into like cold opens and cold closes i like it cold <laughs> i'm the opposite of jeff bezos i don't like warm piss i like cold opens so maybe uh maybe we should start a new tradition on this podcast by like saying goodbye or something mm-hmm. or or just like maybe we could sing like when i used to dj i used to close every night with um lou reed's good night ladies so maybe we could do that we could just be like Every every episode at the end of every episode, just so like people don't feel like, oh, what happened? You know, you just be like, good night, ladies. 
Ladies. We are inexplicably a ladies podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Every 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 week our our the percentage of women listening to our podcast in, increases. Yeah, that's true actually. Despite our uh our attacks on uh women of color like uh Mira Tandon <laughs> and Kamala Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a wo- woman of color like uh Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> She's uh the color is beige. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the color is jaundice. <laughs> yeah, uh, in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, like as a uh, like here, I'm going to pop the bonnet of the podcast for you and show you the motor. Um, the thing that we use to distribute the podcast gives us like um, analytics. Oh yeah, and it, and it it shows us like the 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 breakdown of who listens, like age groups genders and like what country they come from and it's really funny because it's like we've always noticed from early on that the majority of people who listen to this podcast are are uh obviously writing female down on some sort of thing i don't know i the thing is that this is confusing for me is like how do they know like i don't really understand like does someone yeah like if you're like logging into your apple podcast app or your spotify or your Acast or whatever do you have to like put down what gender you are like how the fuck do they know i guess in the very beginning when you sign up maybe i don't know yeah but so we'll i just want to say to all the ladies to yeah. all the ladies thanks for letting us mansplain all over the place ladies. <laughs> yeah. it's like that first track on paul's boutique to all the jamaican girls <laughs> to the italian women <laughs> so yeah ladies thanks for tuning in men do better okay <laughs> Go listen to some other podcast. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you be shopping too much because you be shopping just fine. Yeah, just even though we know that you do be shopping, (laughs) we know that all the ladies out there shop just the right amount. (laughs) (sighs) Oh boy! Oh, (laughs) Oh, lady. (laughs) 